This episode discusses gender nonconformity and how we view deities, and how we make our language more inclusive. There is discussion about human body parts in vision and in art. There is also some profanity that has been bleeped. To hear the unedited version of this podcast, visit us at threecranes.org slash podcast. The best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Day. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sections actually live in cars actually going to festivals and events. So you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So, sit back and enjoy, Druids. In cars. Going to festivals. All right, hi, I'm here with Corbin Kramer, a member of ADF, um, and also local to Three Cranes Grove. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, trans life in ADF. And by we're, I mean Corbin is going to talk a lot about that so that we can amplify his voice and we can stay mostly quiet and active listeners. Indeed. Hi, um, I'm Corbin. Um, I've been a member of ADF probably since 2011 and I've been kind of been crane, crane flavored since 2008. Um, I, uh, I actually started transitioning within the Grove which has been an interesting journey about how that is being perceived and observed among growth mates and among um, uh, practitioners of paganism and neo-paganism. And um, I actually wanted to do a workshop for Summerlands, and hopefully eventually I will, maybe in, in Midnight Flame or Summerlands. But what I was planning to do is a, not, well, more of a lecture, but a conversation on gender nonconformity within various local cults of Indo-European faiths and the fact that the gods and goddesses that we perceive don't necessarily need to be assigned a gender um, and that the concept of cisnormativity is so pervasive that we assume that the gods manifest as a cisgendered individual. They don't necessarily need to be like that. and. So it was more like I was reclaiming the gods and goddesses, the shining ones, as beings in my image too. Because if I was made in their image, then they also would look like me and have my body. And I thought that was incredibly vital within the pagan community because so many of our gods and goddesses, especially if they're depicted, you know, as sky-clad or have very cis, very white standard bodies and that is very troubling when your body is considered deviant and my body should not be considered deviant it should be considered normal so i thought well sure let's go ahead and discuss the cult of sybil which had men um, castrating themselves and becoming eunuchs as well as uh, the cult of hermaphroditus which also did the same thing, the story of Canis, um, 
who was a Greek princess turned male with impenetrable skin by Poseidon and became a lover of Poseidon. Um, there's many variations of that myth. Um, there's also Vedic stories of various gods with both multiple sets of genitalia as well as multiple identities. Um, and the Yotuns themselves were also fertility entities and male Yotuns could get pregnant. So that being said, this is not a result of political correctness from the 80s has been ushered onto us to the 21st century. This is a thing that's been around for like bazillion years. Like third genders, gender variant individuals, people playing different gender roles. This is not new. We've just been sweeping it under the rug and patriarchy is making that very easy to do. So that's basically the gist of the whole thing was like, Here's some list of cults that actually performed various rites and functions, and this is various images of gods and goddesses with, say, Aphrodite yourself walking around, coyly lifting up her skirt so everybody can see her package. I mean, like, that was a normal thing. We had the similar images with, with, uh, with um, Athena. Hermaphrodite Athena was also a thing, too. You could look at this up, listeners, and Google search this stuff. Uh, God knows I did. And so, yeah, a little rambly, but that was the whole point of this. You know, we've got a little bit of that, I feel like, um, in our grove with Garnus, who is, I think, very clearly gender fluid. Yes. Because um, I, I know, at least for me, Garnus presents as male, or non-gendered, maybe. And for my daughter, Garnus is distinctly female, every time, all the time. Um, I don't know, have you had any experience with Garnus like that? Garnus is always presenting himself as a crested male bird, but for some reason I also have images with him on a nest tending eggs. So it really depends because avians themselves have very weird gender dimorphism, and especially those of the crane genus doesn't necessarily have to have the same gender dimorphism as we depict them. But I've always seen Garnus in my mind's eye when we work with him as a capped, red capped crane black legs, um, flying or per or in the river, or in some cases, nesting on eggs. Um, he's a gate guardian, and obviously the egg is that liminal space between birth and death. So I figure that a, a liminal being like Garanos will be definitely, you know, chilling out on a nest. That was always in my mind's eye. I've had kind of a similar experience with Tutates when we started working with the, the god of the tribe. You know, we, we always use masculine words. You know, it's a masculine word in Gaulish, which is purely... Linguistics. Yeah, it's grammar. It's not necessarily anything to do with gender. Um, but we've always kind of gone out of our way, and so some people will see back out of the tribe, I see them as Asus. Others will see, we've known people to see the, uh, that particular deity as Brige, or Nematona, or a, a series of gods or goddesses, or even Garanus mm -hmm. um, as well. So, When I first started transitioning, one of the first deities that I worked with was, of all things, the slight one. Naturally, he was drawn to me because he took one look at, because I felt like he took a look at me, or at least felt my presence, and goes, oh, you're a mess. And the slight one was an interesting experience because he allowed me to own my body as it was. He didn't want to say this is broken fix it so much as shape change learn to change your shape become a transformer and 
I started depicting the sly one, Loki Lafay, as a transmasculine thing. Bearded, red bearded, red hair, uh, brilliant, either brilliant green eyes or brilliant copper eyes, and with a vulva. I drew him like that, and he thought it was delightful. And that was just for my personal gnosis working with him. That's not everybody else's gnosis. And, but that was something that I felt drawn to, was depicting Loki. And also, in some cases, a very, even a very phallic god, Pan himself will sometimes come to me with a very plush-looking vulva and sit right in front of me, either with heavy breasts and a plush vulva, bearded and thick body hair, and he'll come to me because he knows that's a comfortable image for me. It's sometimes the proud, long erection is very uncomfortable because I don't have a proud, I don't have an erection like that. And it's very reflective that he's coming to me at my level. And if you have a good relationship with your gods, they should come to you at your level. They should be able to come in a body type or in a form that is, I wouldn't say, I don't know, pleasing, but in a sense of a relationship that you know that you're on some working or professional or strong emotional relationship in which they'll come to you in ease. And that's not all gods. Thor, uh, Thor never came in a non-heavily phallic form. It's because he didn't steal his hammer. Um, no, I have to close his hammer. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story. That's a good one. We need to tell the listeners later. But um, but I also had uh, the, the Dagda come to me without with, with with also with a very strong phallus. But for some reason, very fertile deities will shape shift all the f- time. They don't give a. F- yeah, personally, that's just my personal lessons. Do you? Um, we've talked a lot about images of these deities and how they they visually present. Is there ritual language that you prefer when talking about deities? I try to keep my neutral as possible because I don't know what form they're going to come to me. Um, I call Pan the Horned One, the Wild One. Um, sometimes I might say Lord of the Woods or King of the Woods, um, but he's the horned one, um, cauldron keeper for the Dagda, um, hammer god, giant slayer. Freyr, Freyr's interesting because Freyr is very androgynous when he comes to me. He is very androgynous. Um, boar rider is what I usually will use. I use kennings and other epithets. Say, the epithets sound like they work really well. I know one of the things that I've been aware of in our ritual language is we'll call out to the gods and goddesses, which is a very, very strong, it's a very strong dichotomy. Yeah. It's um, very dyadic, yes. And so trying to work into that language, whether addressing them as the shiny ones or addressing them as the deities or gods, goddesses, and deities, or I, I don't know, is there the language? all gods? I've always liked all gods. Celestial ones beings, it really depends on the on the environment you're in. And I think that's the funny part about engaging in pagan spaces is I feel that many pagans are working their butts off to be PC, but they're not understanding the contexts of it. It's more than just political clout. It is making your space welcome for non-binary pagans, especially when many spaces they have been very dyadic and binary. And I know I don't necessarily feel super comfortable in spaces that are hyper-masculine. 
But when I was welcomed into a mystics group that was very much magician-centric, I was welcomed in without even a blink. And I felt right at home in that space because it wasn't that they were doing it for kudos. They were just doing it because I was considered hands down male. And I think if we're going to have inclusive language with regard to the deities, it's just knowing where your audience is. And as a Bayesian, like, like in just observing it in festival spaces, maybe using actual neutral language is more important than say in a smaller enclosed space where there's, you might not need to do that. There is an ADF unique word um, that we don't often use, um, but we could, which is Godden. That's come like up G-O-D-D-E-N. on Like G-O-D-D-E-N? Exactly. Um, I like that. It, it's been, we, we haven't used it in the Grove very often, but... Um, well, let's use it. Yeah, I mean... I'm normalize it. We should always normalize neutral language. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a, a thing. Me neither. It's probably about a decade old, and a lot of people who are in ADF who were using it May, may or may not be anymore. I still occasionally see it on a list, but not I, very often. I think that's important that we need to start bringing in neutral, neutral language, calling, using things like folk and the kindred and children of earth, because then you're including non-binary presenting individuals. Now, for the record, I'm not non-binary. I'm more or less binary, more or less. There's a question mark somewhere. But I think the one thing I grew up in the grove about when I started transitioning is... First off, the, peop- the kinds of people that manage to pick it up right away and those that refuse to change. And that space was interesting and in how, when I started transitioning, how I became political discourse in a moment of minutes. And suddenly I wasn't Corbin with carrying around, like, you know, walking around in a, ki- in a kilt and nothing much talking about stupid stuff and grabbing bottles. Of, I become a political topic. I become discourse. And that's something I think in pagan spaces we should evolve, we should stop doing, is stop taking our grove mates, our priests and our brothers and sisters and, and children within our, in our, in our, our siblings, and turning them into debatable topics about policy and about bylaws. I mean, like, that's something that a little bothers me a little bit. And that's what I felt like I was walking into a situation in which... I was going to be a conversation to talk about rather than an individual. Does that, does that, does that, that was my, just my interpretation as I started being in more ADF spaces, not just Grovey spaces, not just Crane spaces, but generally within the church, not just Grove. Grove was great, but ADF, sometimes I really do feel like, you know, I'm a hot take. Do you, um, do you have any, like, actionable things that you would suggest Groves and Protogroves do to be more welcoming other than just not being jerks? I mean, that's job one. That's job one, but... but. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think calling out transphobia and homophobia and having a very zero-tolerance policy on homophobia and transphobia. Um, I think also giving leadership positions and um, making spaces more open for trans people. There's a lot more than just being being accepting, you've got to really put in effort. And I keep saying this to all you guys, you know, off cam, but like on cam, I believe that having trans women do goddess work or whatever they can do is in being part of that community, having trans men follow certain, also certain roles that they feel like they need to be into. And just simply talk to your, those gender variant 
Grove mates. I think that's the biggest thing that actually they can do. Have conversations with those individual people and be like, we're having this right. And we think that you'll be perfect for this role. Would you like to take this role? And if it's to confirm their gender, that's to be a great action for them. But honestly, just simply talking to them and having open conversations was why I stick with my cranes. Because you didn't just start making this a debate among growth mates. I'm a human being and you recognize that. And you're like, well, let's include Cor Corbin into the conversation. And more normal and more importantly, just normalize trans bodies and trans lives. Like I said, the whole story came from this idea that we have cults of gods and goddesses with trans bodies or non-normative bodies since the fucking days we crawled out of the dust of Ethiopia. This has always been and always will be. There's, there is no newfangled trend. It's the same trend. And I think recognizing this is the path we've been on for years and calling us into the grove as members as we've always been is vital. And I think that's the, the takeaway is just conversations and listening to their individual needs. Thanks for listening and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something that you'd like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsincars at threegrains.org. If you would like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about druidry at ADF.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.